Welcome to the Gate Crashers Podcast, where we storm the gates of publishing and dare to talk about the realities of the industry. I'm your Ivory Tower representative, Amanda Liedeke, literary agent and vice president at McGregor and Liedeke. And I'm your self-publishing insider, Therese Crow, novelist and speaker. This is the last of our summer interview sessions. You can look for brand new content from us starting September 20th. In the meantime, let's listen in on part two of our interview with Ben Wolf, the expert of live author events. So the next part of live events part is, two. part two is obviously you, the you, author. The author. You. And there's different components How that go into this. How handsome you are. <laughs> How beautiful you are. Uh, that never hurts. Um, I'm saying that our required. listeners are handsome and beautiful people. Exactly. They are gorgeous yes. and intelligent and su- super intelligent, obviously, because they're listening to your wonderful podcast, my dear. Oh my gosh. Um, okay. So what we want to, what we want to talk about with you being there and I see this we do a lot of different types of events. We do lots of different types of events. We, we do, do some weird We do craft events. shows. We do local comic cons and, and occasionally regional comic cons and other right. geek style events. We've done a couple anime shows. Um, we do a cybersecurity conference <laughs> called CornCon. Shout out to CornCon. I love me some CornCon. Anyway, uh, we, we do a lot of events. That's the point. And... Right. And the point being that you need to keep in mind the venue. Yes. You need to look the part. Yes. You get away with this a lot more than I can. I do. Because you will, a lot of times, you'll just be in jeans and one of your own merch shirts. You'll be yeah, I'm rocking, one your... rocking a book cover, one of my own book covers, because again, I'm shameless. We yep. are meet the legends, right? Yep. You have to put yourself out there in a way that makes you seem right. cooler than you actually are until you hit the level of Brandon Sanderson, in which case your books will sell themselves. Right. However, I've noticed that I don't sell as well when I dress in your style, when it's just jeans. And even if it is my own, because I do, you did get me. I got got you an Ignite shirt. Yep. You got me one and I've worn it and I don't do as well. I tend to do better when I dress more business casual Um, and business casual is never a bad idea. But costumes, in my opinion, almost always are. Even at the Comic-Con events, it's just intimidating. Like, if, you're, if your book cover isn't clearly communicating what it is that you are offering for sale and you need to dress in a costume to make that even more clear, mm. something has gone wrong here. Because you, you want to look like the author of the books, not like a character who just stepped out of the book. Right. You know, I have seen this. I have seen this in two different variations, two that I can recall right now. One variation is, Hey, I'm a character from my own book. Mm. Okay, cool. I've never read your book. So that means nothing to me. It's kind of off-putting, isn't it? It's, it's, it can be it depending on the costume. It's, it's, it's not immediately relatable. And right. that's the issue. Um, I have a friend named Christopher Schmitz who also does shows, a lot of the same shows that we do, a fellow author. He's got about as many books out as I do, might have a few more actually. 
he often dresses as Marvel characters. He's got a great Wolverine outfit. He's got a few other really cool costumes. And he doesn't have any problem selling books because he's very, very good at all the sales stuff. His covers are great. He's talented uh, at, at relating to people, but he's dressed as a relatable character. He's mm -hmm. dressed as a recognizable character. So right. that's kind of where I personally draw my dividing line. I know you still don't prefer it, you don't. but it can work if you're a recognizable character. Right. My, my preference personally for me I will probably never wear cosplay to an event that I am a vendor at, just because it's more important for me to rep myself than it is to rep Wolverine or right. Indiana Jones or fill in your own blank here. Exactly. And, you know, the venue can really have an impact on that as well um yeah if you're have... at a funeral convention don't wear cosplay that's not the right venue for that not what i was aiming especially for especially like uh, like horror not costumes I... that's that it, it won't go well oh my gosh ben okay uh what i was trying to say was you know we have we have one set of comic conventions that has started doing events in malls. Yes, and we love we love malls. We love malls. John Wells. We love malls. <laughs> so uh, John's the organizer. What's What's great about those shows that are in malls is they have built-in foot traffic. So it's not just yes. you know you're not just relying on the event organizer mm -hmm. and what kind of advertising they put out. Did they get the word out enough? Is there going to be a crowd? You've got, you've got your built-in regular Joe Schmo right. audience. And you know who loves books? Regular people. Yeah. Regular people. And so for that reason, like I would definitely never wear a cosplay costume to an event like that because, you know, it's not just people our age or people who are super nerds who right. are coming up and buying these books. We've we were at a tiny little, you know, craft fair and we had a 75 year old grandmother who stopped by and chatted us up about all things nerdy. She was so cool. She was so awesome. But when you're in, you know, a setting like a mall or something and it's just your average reader and it's a sunday it's, afternoon exactly and people are coming in after church right they're just or whatever they're just there to cash in their free you know right bath and body they're, works coupon. they're trying to get like some bubble tea and and walk around get their steps in exactly this is not the person that, like they're going to be far too intimidated if you're dressed head to toe as a space cowboy or something you know that that's going to be off-putting to them so you have to keep your look in mind is yes. important you know, like you said, you're representing yourself. Be be appealing to as many people as possible. That that's one of the common threads that goes through this entire conversation, mm -hmm. starting with your cover design, all the way through your pricing structure, all the way through how you personally look, all the way through how your your display and your booth and your table is set up. You want to be accessible to everyone. And, and I'll correct myself, you don't want to be appealing to as many people as possible. You want to appeal to as many people who would actually read your stuff if they knew about you right. as possible. Because we, we don't write romance. We don't typically write mystery, like cozy mystery or, or some of these other genres that are great. They're just not for us. 
we write science fiction and fantasy. And then occasionally I have some horror and I also have a children's book. We are trying to appeal to readers of those books specifically. So we don't have a bunch of hearts or, or, or Hallmark cards sitting on our tables right. or cutesy little stuffed animals sitting out to help draw people's attention. We don't do that. Right. Because we are not marketing to that specific reader. We're marketing to the nerds, the geeks, the weirdos who love to go on adventures in other places that are far away and not real, but they so, so wish that they would be. Right. Another part of being successful at live events is just sounding the part. Yes. Being confident in what you're offering, you know, um, Amanda and I have talked about this a lot, but a lot of the self-confidence that authors lack comes because they don't, you know, they're not acting as though that their book solves a problem. Does it entertain or does it inform? Mm -hmm. And they seem unsure of that, but they'll be, they love their book, but they'll be, they can't talk about it in a way that sells it. You know, that's, that's, a skill that you can develop. It's right. not something that you have to be stuck not knowing how to pitch your book to someone forever. You can work on it. You can get feedback from other people. You can test it out right. on your friends and family and even perfect strangers and get feedback and, and get actionable data that you can then turn around and use to make changes or keep things very much the same. If you if you can come up with a compelling hook to the a, a compelling hook for a book should establish what the book is about obviously that's that's mm-hmm. inherent in it being a hook for your book but it should also clarify who your target audience is one of the things that i say for my blood mercenary series is it's dungeons and dragons in a series of books and right away Almost every time someone will either be like, oh, I love D&D or, oh, okay. And then they'll put it down, right? (laughs) It's a polarizing statement, but it's not like a negatively polarizing statement. It's just a factually polarizing statement. Right. It's accurate. It helps pinpoint in the reader's mind what they ought to expect when they pick up your book. Yeah. And it's something you have to work at. It's not something you can just necessarily come up with on the fly although if you've constructed your book properly from from the beginning of actually conceiving of the concept and writing it then it's already there and you can just take that and maybe modify it for a sales setting but um if not then if if you didn't do that at the beginning then start trying to distill what your book is about into like one sentence and, and that's kind of your elevator pitch, as it is colloquial, colloquially known in the writing community. If you can distill it to one sentence and then give a little bit of salesy flair, uh, you might have a better chance of selling it to your reader because, again, it tells what the book is about and it crystallizes and, and tightens the noose around whoever is your target audience. Exactly. So when, uh, when we are selling copies of Ignite or when somebody's looking at it, we say teens, dragons, magic, secret society. On a tropical island. Yes. 
And depending, especially if I see if they're wearing anything that's mm-hmm. related to Harry Potter, I'll throw in my Hogwarts letter never, letter never arrived. So I write books instead. Yeah. And it's, it's a high success rate with that. She, There's a lot of people who just, it yes. communicates, it communicates, um, what was the word you used earlier? But it, it's known. It's relatable. It is known. It is, it is known. Daenerys. Yes. Um, it, it makes it more relatable. Oh, I love those books. Oh, I like all the, I like dragons. I like mm-hmm. teens. I mm-hmm. like secret societies, mm-hmm. you know? Yep. And it communicates that. that effectively in a way that makes them want to know more. And if someone asks for an actual, you know, synopsis of the plot, I've got that ready to go too, but that's not what I throw at somebody out the gate because it's, right. it's too wordy. Well, and that's, that's also the function of your back cover copy. If right. you've done that well, then you don't have to explain the entire plot of your book to someone because you just give them the hook and and hand them the book. Uh, so give your hook, hand the book. I'm rhyming. Hooray. And then they can read the back cover and then draw their own conclusion based on what they read. The, the end of that rhyme was encourage them to take a look because they're going to be looking at the back cover, just so you know. This is why you're a better writer than me. <laughs> um. So when you have somebody at your table, you want to try to be on your feet, not sitting yep, down. Yep. You want to be engaged. You want to take an interest. Exactly. These take people an interest have in them. money that might eventually belong to you. Exactly. And don't be dismissive. Don't be timid. You know, don't be sitting on your phone the whole time. Now, sometimes that's unavoidable, but, you know, it, really what it comes down to is being genuine. And mm-hmm. really trying to find common ground with whoever is there. Yes. And depending on the event, that can be really easy. Mm-hmm. Whether you pick up a snippet of conversation and you add something to it, or they're wearing something from a fandom that you're familiar with. So you have a conversation about that. Right. I've had long conversations with bronies. I'm not a brony, but I have daughters you understand. Who, who watched My Little Pony. Yep. It was a good show. So I can carry on a conversation yep. like that, you yep. know? Um, having a background in sales helps. It really does you help. Know? If if you've ever worked in sales, then you you understand. If if you've ever been really really good at sales, then you really understand. Um, and if you haven't ever worked in sales, there's lots of great resources out there. A lot of free resources that you can probably find online just to get you some basics as far as how to engage people, how to engage with people, and how to lead them down the path you want them to walk without being a jerk about it. Right. Because that's also anybody, important. Right. Yes. Yeah. yeah. You don't wanna... You're not a used car salesman when you're selling your books, or at least you shouldn't be. Exactly. Right. You're not trying to take somebody's money from them. You're trying to earn it. Yes. So another thing that you need to know uh, as the author is to come prepared for the day. That's right. How long is the event? Are you going to be working it solo or with someone else? Packing a lunch is a good idea. We often do roast beef sandwiches, or at least we Mm -hmm. used to. And uh, that worked out well because, you know, a lot of places like they don't have a concession stand or something. And so or maybe the food they're serving isn't something you want to eat. Or maybe the food there is concession stand food. Right. Doesn't sound appetizing. Um, But, you know, if you're especially if you're going to be working the event alone and you're going to be there from 10 a.m. till. Yep. 6 p.m. You better pack some food for yourself or you're going to be starving by the end of the day. Um, I mean, places like or, or companies like Grubhub and, and the sure. like, they do exist. Uh, but it's even that can be a hassle because if your Jimmy John's driver doesn't have 
a ticket to get into the event, then you still might have to leave your table to go meet them at the entrance to right. get your food. And that's potential missed sales, potential for some of your products to maybe leave the table without you knowing about it. Right. You just don't want to mess with that if, if you don't have to. So when in doubt, be prepared. Uh, or the next, the next topic we're going to discuss is make friends with people at these events, especially if the same company runs events in multiple locations. Mm -hmm. If it's the same organizer, get in good with the organizer, get in good and make friends with the other vendors because they'll watch out for you. Mm -hmm. They will watch your table. If you have to run to the bathroom, they'll watch your products. They'll keep an eye on your stuff. If you need to go out and meet your Jimmy John's driver mm -hmm. and collect your food or what have you. And then there's a lot of other benefits of working with, uh, of making sure that you're good friends with the organizer and with the other vendors as well. Exactly. The other, another great thing about, you know, being friendly and kind to your neighbors is a lot of these people have been doing it for probably longer than you have, especially if you're oh, yeah. just starting out doing Absolutely. events. So they know which are the good shows and which ones aren't. Which one, mm -hmm. hey, this one always has a great turnout. You got to make sure you're at this one right. versus, yeah, I was at that one for the last two years. I'm not doing it again. I only made a quarter of what I usually make, you know? Um, and so the vendors will give you the inside scoop on things, but you want to get in good with the event organizer as Especially well. Especially if you can. Right. And it doesn't, you don't have to be a suck up. Um, just making sure that you seek them out at the end of the event when everybody's packing up go shake their hand, thank them for their time yep. and their effort for including you, tell them that you had, you know, if you had a great sales day, tell them that, thank them for putting it on, say, you know, I'm going to gonna be at your show in mm -hmm. such and such a city. I can't wait to do this again. Thanks for having me. And just that simple, in my opinion, basic decency. Yeah. Like to me, that's really that's, like, that's, bare that's the bare minimum that you should be doing. And it's helped immensely with organizers who say, hey, they come, they show up on time, they set up on time, their display looks fantastic. They help promote ahead of time yes, and while help. you're at the event. Exactly. They post on social media, you know, that they're going to be here. They post when they're there. They try to do what they can to attract yep. people to the event. Those are the people who get the prime spot. Yep. And you want a prime spot. Right in front of the door where everybody's walking in. Exactly. That's where you want to be. Right. Exactly. Because where your real estate really does make a difference. You know, if you have a corner, yes. you you're going to you're gonna make more sales if you're on a corner. Right. And if you're near where the heaviest foot traffic is. Yes. Right at the entrance, not lost somewhere in the middle or tucked away or heaven forbid in a separate room. I mean, yeah. Yeah, we've. <laughs> the we've, inhale of separate we, room. We've done a couple of those. It's. It's you, frustrating. It, it can be a challenge. Yes. Yeah. So placement matters. And a lot of that's just going to depend on your personal relationship with the event organizer or yes. organizers or organization, whatever it may be. Um, there's one event that unfortunately it's been canceled the last two years, thanks to COVID, but we were working on putting together a library slash author signing space mm -hmm. slash quiet room, um, quiet room, right. For people who come that get sensory overwhelmed right. that there would be a space where they could go that would be treated just like a library would be treated in that there's no talking in here it's quiet or at least here. not loud talking exactly yeah. and so that way you know it's just it would have 
made the entire event a little bit more inclusive Mm -hmm. for some people because it can get loud and it can get crowded and it can get a little overwhelming and that got us in great with the organizers because they yeah we've never thought about doing something like that and so we took over all right well this is what we're going to do this so we'll set it up unfortunately it hasn't come to pass yet well yeah because covid shut everything down right 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 as we were really getting the ball rolling right it it will eventually but doing things like that for event organizers if you have a legitimate way to don't add to their workload but to improve things that can help out as well Right. What what value can you provide yes. to the organizer of an event? Mm-hmm. And beyond beyond just the basic being a good citizen, not being a jerk, and and promoting what what else can you offer them that makes their job easier? If because that's the best way to endear yourself to someone is make their life easier and it makes you likable. I think the last thing I wanted to make sure that we cover um, when it comes to you at events is to be upfront about what someone is buying. You know, you've got a book series that's rated R. I do. And because it's got like, it's got a guy on the cover, there's some blood on the title. Every now and then we get about a 10 or 11 year old boy who comes running up to the table and picks up this book and says, mom, can I get a new book? And mom says, sure, I'll get you a new book. And you go, uh, that one's rated R. You have excellent taste, sir. <laughs> but, but mom, you, I, and, and I directed at the mom because right. mom's got the money. I say, mom, just so you know, this is a rated R book. It's a rated R series. I tell them why it's rated R for, for language and, and horror type violence. And then I let the mom make the decision because I'm, it's not up to me to decide what your kid is allowed to read. That's up to you as the parent. And so as long as they have the information, then it's on them whether or not they want to make the purchase. But what I will often do is if I can, if, if that particular cover or series attracts them and mom is like, nope, no rated R books, then I could say, well, you know what? I do have these two other series, which are more age appropriate. And then it segues into a longer conversation and they know that I'm invested in them and their well-being and the well-being of their kid. Right. And so therefore, by extension, they're more willing to invest their time in hearing out what I have to say. Exactly. And you know, that brings me to a point that actually I didn't put in my notes, but we really ought to cover it. And that is having diversity of subjects at your table. And this is not achieved, like we're very fortunate that you and I are both authors and that we both do these events because that that adds to our diversity at our table, right? Right. For a lot of people, they're not they're not married to other authors. True. Um, and so, you know, really filling out that space or really getting lots of different genres. So that you've got, you've got something for everybody, you know, that can be really difficult, but it can also really boost your sales. So my advice would be, you know, if you are looking to start out um, doing events, but you only have a couple of books or they're only in one genre, see if you can't find somebody from one of your writer groups who's also published who'd be willing to do a couple of events with you. You could split the cost of the table. And ideally, they don't write the exact same genre as you do. Um, So that way, you know, well, I only read romance. I only read suspense. Oh, well, my friend Cindy here, she has romance and suspense books, you know, and making sure that you're also a good neighbor to whoever it is that you're sharing the table with, endorsing them 
to help the author, you know, not just have to talk about their book, but so that it becomes a conversation, you know? One of the, one of the best ways to sell a book is to have someone else sell it for you Yeah. while you're standing there mm -hmm. at the table. Um, we have some very dedicated readers who sometimes show up to events and don't even buy anything because they already have multiple copies of all of our books. I'm talking about our friends, Blaine and Brenda, and our friend Justin, sometimes they show up and they just, they help us unpack and set up. Sometimes they help us tear down. Other times they come in the middle and just chat us up, which is really nice because it can get kind of dull, especially if the, the, the traffic is not super high. And then whenever someone comes up to the table and takes an interest in the book, these, these super fans will point to it and say, that's an awesome book. Right. And so it's not, then it's not me, the author saying that the guy right. behind the table, of course, I'm going to say that because I'm trying to sell one to you, but to have a real life person who has read the book or all the books multiple times in, in the case of some of our super fans to have them say it, that gives you some social credit that it, you cannot buy that. Right. So that's another, another really helpful strategy. Yeah. All right. So our last third here. Um, Number three. And that is, and we've covered some of these a little bit, but we'll get into more in right, depth. Right. That is your audience. Yes. Keeping in mind the venue, who's going to be attending, why they're there, what are they coming there to do, what time of year it is. Um, you know, the six to eight weeks leading up to Christmas are very lucrative time for vendors, yep. but there are some events that are just going to be better for you to sell your books and some attendees who are going to be more likely to purchase your books. Right. So two examples of that, you know, the people who are least likely to buy our books at a Comic-Con tend to be the people in cosplay because that's not really what they're there to do. They are right. there because they are right. celebrating a fandom and they want to find other people who also celebrate that fandom, or they want to show off all their incredibly creative hard work that they've put into this costume that they've handmade. And they rightfully want to get some recognition for how awesome it is. It's not generally that person who wants to come buy a book. Right. Um, and then another one is just, you know, Weigh, weigh the pros and cons of what it's going to cost you to do an event versus what you're likely to sell. Yes. And I have to put a caveat on um, writers conferences, the kind where, you know, you go, you learn about the craft, you're rubbing shoulders and elbows and whatever. With editors and agents exactly. and publishers and other authors who are doing better than you or, right. or who are looking up to you as a mentor, potentially you get both ends of the spectrum. And there's usually some sort of bookstore usually. and you can usually either, you know, kind of co-sign your books into it or, you know, usually the convention, the conference gets some piece of the sale of your right. book if it sells in the bookstore. Right. And I've seen people who they order a, a print run of 50 books and they send it to the conference and they sell one book and they've now lost money because of how much it costs them right. to print them and to ship them. Ship and now them. they've got to figure out have, how they're going to get, how them are they going to get those books home? Right. right. So talk about eating into your profit margin, you know, unless you are the keynote speaker at a writer's conference, I just don't see people being particularly successful 
selling their, those books in those settings because really that's not what the other writers are there to do, you know? Yes. Most the, of the time. Very much so. That that has been my experience as well. I've I've spoken and taught and uh, at, at over 50 writers conferences and a, a few comic conventions as well over the last, I don't know, 10 years, give or take. And my experience with selling books when I've had books to sell is I'll, I'll sell a few. And it's just because they, that audience, authors are oftentimes readers, but that's not what they're there for. They're there to network, to learn and be educated. The, the one thing that I haven't tried yet is selling nonfiction books that are about the industry or the craft of writing right. at these events. I, and I, cause maybe those will sell better. I'm not sure. Right. I would assume those would, if you were teaching right. on a subject and you said, but I've also got a book on this and it goes into greater detail. Sure. That will sell some copies, but for the realm of fiction, it's, it's, tough it's tougher. There. It's tougher. Now what I will say, and, and I've, I've seen this with other authors and it, it's happened with me as well is when you are up for an award at a conference, and especially if you win that award, yeah. then it's more likely that your books are going to sell. I was blessed and honored to win an award for my children's book. I'd punch a lion in his eye for you. And at that conference where I was awarded the award, I sold out of all of my copies except for one. And I, I mean, I didn't bring a ton of copies, but I think I, I brought like 28 or 30 and I sold out of all of them except, well, technically except for two, because I gave one away to a friend of mine. But aside from that, th that was a really good boost as well. And so if there are right. ex very extenuating circumstances, then it might be worth it for you to bring more books with the expect expectation of selling more. But if you're going to do that, have a worst case scenario plan of, okay, what if I don't sell any, what am I going to do with these books afterward? How right. am I going to get them back home? Right. Yeah. And so, you know, different audiences are going to attract different folks. Yes. And that's just a reality of what it is. And what we found is I think one of the places where we really do best are craft fairs. Craft shows. Yep. Because, you know, when we do comic cons and stuff like that, there's, there's always other authors there, you know, mm -hmm. so there's yep. some competition, but I don't think it's necessarily the competition that, that makes the lack of competition, I should say, at craft fairs. I think it's the whole novelty of it, because the way we get I into these, you, you know, the, the way that we get into these is that there's typically a rule in a lot of these of, you know, this has to, you have to be selling an item that you made. So this By prevents, hand. exactly. So this prevents people from, you know, who sell you know, scented candles or, you know, they, they're part of a jewelry, right. like, yeah, sometimes there's rules against it and sometimes right. not. It, you can't go to a craft show and sell Funko Pops, right? Like, cause you didn't make those Funko Pops, right. you bought them and now you're trying to resell them. Exactly. And that there's nothing wrong with that, but at certain types of events, they don't want that. They want stuff that has been handmade. Yeah. And we get into these things because, well, we wrote the books. We wrote our books with our hands. Exactly. We, 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 everything short of, of obviously we don't do our own cover art because we know our limits, uh, but we hired and we hire artists to do our cover art and we don't physically print the books ourselves, but we do order the books, right. but it's a, it's something that we created without right. us. There is no book cover and there is no 
printed copy of the book anyway. Exactly. So the argument is pretty strong for an author to get into a craft show on the merit of this is something that I made. Yes. And what we have found is the type of person who goes to the craft fairs expecting to spend money. They are there to spend money. They, they are. are there to shop and buy. They are also very frequently the type of person who likes to read and they like to read a paperback book. Yes. They do not want to read a Kindle ebook. They want to hold something physical in their hands that they can value. Correct. And so craft fairs, if you're if you're afraid of trying out an event, start at a craft start fair. Start with a local craft fair. Yep. Doesn't have to be a big one. Mm -hmm. The rule of thumb with any of these events is if there are bodies at the event, you have an opportunity to sell books and make lifetime readers of your right. work. If it's an event and you are kind of getting the vibe that, well, I don't know if this is going to be very well attended then you could try it if you want. But keep in mind, if no one comes through that door or if very few people come through that door, it's harder to make back your initial investment. And then you also have to factor in, what is your time worth? I've done some events where I had to drive a distance to get there and it takes time to set up. It takes energy. You have to load up your vehicle. You have to make everything fit. It's Tetris, but life-sized. And then you get there and it's dead. And what do you do about that? Well, you you obviously, if life throws you lemons, you try to make lemonade as much as you can. But if you're not even getting very many lemons, then you can't make very much lemonade. So you do what you can, but you kind of need to try to anticipate, is this going to be worth my time? Is it going to be worth the investment of the money that I'm spending? Mm -hmm. Or should I stay home and write the next book? Exactly. And that's one of the reasons why having relationships with other vendors who have been in yes, you know, like this, we talked this world about. for a while, it's really helpful because they can tell you, oh no, don't do that one. It's in the back room of a bowling alley. Yep. You'll get maybe a hundred people through the door. It's not worth it. That local anime convention, that's just not, don't go to that one. It's not well attended. Exactly. Wait, wait a month and go to the much bigger one in this bigger city because it's slammed. Exactly. And so with your audience as well, you know, keep in mind that not everybody is shopping for themselves. Right. We've had quite a few people who have taken pictures, especially of your fantasy series. We get a lot of moms with adult sons who say, well, my son's into that kind of thing. I wonder if he's read your books. And we sit there going, he has not read, he has my not books. read our books. I promise you, yeah. he has not read our books. And then she'll send a picture and say, well, does this seem like something you'd read? And then She'll buy the whole series Yep, right there. Yep. So knowing how to talk to somebody about like, well, what does he like and what is he into? And striking up that kind of conversation is really important for being successful and for engaging with your audience because books make excellent gifts for they friends, do. you know, and reminding them that, you know, it's not just a book that they're buying. They're also getting it signed. They're getting it personalized. Yes. How many signed and personalized books do you own? It's collectible. Exactly. So it really adds a lot of value uh, for most people. It's a It becomes an experience for the person buying it because they meet the author and that's very cool. And if they're buying it for someone else, that's cool too, because it's still an experience for the person that they're buying the book for mm -hmm. because it's a signed book. It's personalized. There's a fun, quirky little message in it. It's, it's a win-win all around. Exactly. And then lastly, this is something I've learned in my sales days. We call these people B-backs and they essentially, you know, they stand there, they get all the information and they say, 
well, I'll be back later. Right. Only a third of them, literally only a third of them are ever going to come back later. Right. So you really want to try to sell somebody right there at your table. Again, not forcefully, not in a way that makes anybody uncomfortable, but you know, there's just not great chances that people are going to come back, even though they say it will. So remind them what kind of value they're getting from you today, right. you know, um, and that's really all you can do. We have, at least I have in my head, I have sort of a hierarchy of, of ways to overcome objections. And I don't ever want to go past the top tier of that hierarchy, because then for me, at least it seems like I'm badgering or I'm being a jerk, right? Or I'm really, you know, trying to scrape by and get someone to buy my book. So there are, there are mental lines in my head that I don't want to cross by saying things or trying to, trying to, coerce people into buying my books but essentially uh, what what now now that i have that hierarchy established in my head i know well i can say here's the price here's why it's a great deal it's going to be cheaper if you buy it here than if you buy it on amazon and then there's no shipping either and then you get it signed by the author right here in front of you and that's not going to happen if you buy it on amazon and that's pretty much the end of the road for me like there is a bunch of steps before that too but once I reach that point, it's, I kind of just have to leave it up to them to either buy it or not buy it. Right. Because if I, if I do any more than that, then it becomes strong army. At least it, for me, that's what it feels like. And I don't want to cross that line. So having sort of your, your scheme, your sales scheme in mind can help you figure out whether or not this is something, this is something that they're going to do. And, and it'll, it'll help clarify for them if, if they're going to make the purchase or not. Exactly. So we've talked about a lot of things. We talked about, we just finished talking about your audience and how to relate to them. We talked about you as the author and how you should come across to different folks when you're at these live events. And then at the beginning, we talked about your actual product, you know, making sure that you have an excellent cover design, making sure that you ask your designer, I don't know if I explicitly said this, but ask your designer for the individual assets, ask them to uh, send you just the background and in high res mm -hmm. photo ready, ask them to send you just the, the emblem or the person in the foreground, ask them to send you just the text and your author name, because you can repurpose all of that for the various marketing products that you create, whether it's a giant sign or a banner, or whether it's a small little magnet that's gonna be on someone's fridge in perpetuity. We've talked about all these things, but this is by no means everything there is to live events. There's a whole lot more that we could discuss. I, what I would wanna leave you with is this. It's, it's an encouragement to just try this. It, it is a commitment. And you will have more success if you actually do commit to it. And if you commit to doing it well, if you aren't ready to really fully commit and go all out and try to learn and develop these things, you can still do one if you want. But my, my recommendation to you would be to actually go all in and try to figure out a way to make this work. It's okay to start small and then scale up. That's exactly what we did. When I first 
when I did my first show, aside from writers conferences, when I did my first Comic Con, I had one book out. I had two books out, excuse me. I had Ghost Mine, which is my sci-fi horror book. And I had I'd Punch a Lion, which is my children's book. And from that very first convention, we met Blaine, who is one of our super fans. He bought a copy of Ghost Mine. And then he saw us again the next year. He bought more books. And after that, he was hooked. And now he comes to pretty much every local event that we put on. And it's always a pleasure to see him because he always talks with us about our books and he, God bless him. He always asks, when's the next one coming out? And so that helps us. It feeds our egos, which as authors, that's super important, but it also is a huge encouragement because it helps us understand that there are people out there who love your work. There are people out there who will love your work if you can get it into their hands. And so that's why live events are so great. It's your opportunity to get your work into the hands of readers who you might not otherwise be able to interact with. Awesome. Thank you. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for taking the time to be here with us today. We appreciate it. And uh, Well, I live here, so. <laughs> yeah, I know. Long commute. Um, and you have a book coming out in October? Early October. I think it's the 7th or something like that. It's the first Tuesday in October. It is actually on this topic. We have done so many shows over the years. It's got to be well over 100 shows at this point between writers conferences and all the comic conventions and craft shows and everything else that we've done. I, I have a lot of information that I've been able to take notes on as I'm doing it. And I've distilled that into a book format or, or at least i will i'm still writing it and finishing it up but i have all the information i'm putting it together in an awesome book it's called power author mastering live events it is available on amazon for pre-order i'm the author ben wolf if you just do ben wolf power author uh two books should pop up there's there's another power author book about how to build your story world but that's not the focus of this podcast the focus is the book that is available for pre-order so if you want to learn more about live events and if you can wait until october go ahead and pre-order that book and you won't regret it that's a wrap on our summer interview sessions thanks so much for joining us and don't forget to tune in september 20 we'll be dropping a brand new season in the meantime leave us a review follow us on facebook and be here in three weeks for a brand new episode